Following some of the most tumultuous times in modern American history, Richard Nixon stepped into the White House. He shot up through the political ranks quickly, despite his lack of social prestige. At first, his tenure as president was promising. He reorganized social infrastructure and made pushes for civil rights. But behind everything, the pressure of war, foreign ideals, and domestic unrest created a sense of paranoia within Nixon. This paranoia pushed him to make unethical decisions, leading to the most important event of his political career, the Watergate scandal. This is like doing the research for this. It is very true that we just throw gate at the end of oh, everything. Yeah. I and deflate gate like a <laughs> scandal about like uninflated balls is compared or used in the same vein as a president leaving office. Yeah, but for this one, it's like the literal name of the building. So right. It's like not even like we added that on there because like deflate gate makes sense because it was deflating the balls. But this one. Nothing to do with water. <laughs> literally nothing. Nope. Like, literally nothing. <laughs> Not it's, even related tangentially to water. I would love to stay at the like in this building. Do you think it has just Richard Nixon ghosts all around it? I, I would hope so, but That'd also at the funny. same time, maybe not. But I am not a crook. I think you can like stay in the room that they were trying to get into. That'd be that would be an interesting time. They should definitely. I think there's actually a movie coming out about this. Probably it's like Woody Harrelson leads like this ragtag crew. I think it's a spoof. Like leads this group of like imbeciles about how to actually or how they did it. Let's see what we got here. Champions. It's a oh, basketball movie. White House Plumbers. Okay, yes, then yes. That is <laughs> directly related to Basketball this. Movie. <laughs> There's champions. I just looked up Woody Harrelson movies, and that's the first one. No, there you go. Oh, All right. Right next to Cheers. <laughs> well, I was close. Speaking of being close, welcome to the Gems of History podcast. Speaking of Woody, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Woody Harrelson, yeah. Our guests for today. I'm your host, Jacob Shop, and Evan Roosh is here with me to talk about Richard Nixon. Hello. Tricky Dick. Yeah, tricky dick done in by deep throat. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, like, I've said this before that I didn't know a lot going into, like, mm-hmm. the episode. But for this one, I literally, I think I know, knew the least about any of the things that we've covered on this podcast for this episode specifically. Right. For one of the most probably, I mean, everyone knows what Watergate is and what resulted in doing. But I had no, no context, no info about <laughs> What the hell it was? This is like the definition of a a textbook buzzword. Like you know what it is, you've heard it before, and you know that it was related to Nixon being out of office. But everything else is like I don't have any fucking idea. This is a throwaway option for A, B, C, and D that your teacher put in for like a different vocab on oh, your yeah. test in history. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, as we mentioned in our little preamble talk, this has nothing to do with water. And it is actually probably one of the most landmark scandals in American political history. So it's kind of a big deal. I would say, I mean, Nixon, one of three presidents to get impeached, if I'm not mistaken. He wasn't impeached, he resigned. 
Right, but like, I mean, yeah, it's like but, yes, a, a, all right. <laughs> but he like he's the only one to like actively just resign from office. So there's that. That is true. But that is true. Yeah, this is uh, it's a big deal. But it's funny to me that the titular word of Watergate, like the Watergate scandal, is what it's called. But the Watergate event, like the event surrounding the actual Watergate building isn't even like the most important part of this story not at all like there is so much that happens before it and so much that happens after it that is miles more important than the actual event itself but it's just that this was the inciting moment that caused all the all of the mountains to just fall at once yeah it that's just so like it's literally just a building yeah there's nothing around like there's nothing really that took place there Besides the actual deed that we'll talk about, but a majority of it, yeah, yeah, is way after. So, for a quick summary, just before we get into it in detail, if you've never heard of the Watergate scandal, basically what happened was five men were found breaking into the Watergate complex, which was the head of the United States Democratic Party committee, and they, these men were caught trying to wiretap the building and basically get ears into the building so that they could listen in on what was going on. They were caught. They were arrested. And it was found to be related to the Nixon campaign in some way and ultimately led to Nixon having to leave office amidst the pressure from what happened. In disgrace. Yes. So that's a very brief summary. We'll get into all of it throughout the episode. But if you've never heard of it and you don't know what you're getting into, there you go. Uh, the, the first half of the episode is basically just going to be like a summarized bio of Richard Nixon kind of telling, because it is important to know how he started, where he came from, who he was as a person, to understand why he made the decisions that he made once he got into office. And you can't really understand all that without knowing who Richard Nixon was. Are so. you telling me that context is key? Context matters. Hmm. So yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to say before we started on this one, Ev? No, I'm excited to dive in. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, let's hop right into Richard Milhouse Nixon was born on January 9th, 1913 in Milhouse. Yorba Linda, California, and was one of five boys in the Nixon family. Sorry, I don't know why Milhouse it's made me It's a funny laugh. name. <laughs> I think that's a Simpsons character it or something is, like yeah. that. So like, like that, the, that made me laugh quite a bit. He's the nerdy Simpsons character, too, yep. if I'm remembering right. Which fits, because Richard was kind of a nerd growing up. He was born into a poor family with a Quaker background. They lived in a small farmhouse, as I mentioned, in Yorba Linda, California. His father had moved to California after struggling to make his way in Ohio for a while, and then his mother had moved to California with her family at the age of 12, and then they met in college, and they married shortly after. Richard claimed that his father was stern at home. He was prone to violent outbursts, which... It's not uncommon for the early 1900s to have a more physical and domineering parent in the house, especially the father. That that uh, corporal punishment was not uncommon in those times. So, I mean, that's been a huge parallel through a lot of these folks that lived around this time, like John Dillinger. Like yeah, we talked about his dad, which very funny. Like the differences of oh, these yeah. two characters, which one got to the present seat, one is 
a renowned criminal. Well, both criminals. Both. Well, yes, that is true. Nixon committed war crimes. <laughs> Dillinger committed small time crimes. But it's different when you're in office. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it doesn't count. So, his while his father was pretty controlling, his mother was very quiet. And she was also said to be controlling, but she was said to be more of just like, she managed the household and she was pretty cold. She didn't really show a lot of affection to the kids, but he did refer to his mother as a saint. So he did have respect for her. And I don't know, he didn't really say anything else about his father from what I could find. So I mean, I'm sure there is stuff. There's plenty of biographies on Nixon right. and autobiographies, but those are really long and I didn't read all those. So <laughs> I should say before we get too deep into this, that I watched a biography on YouTube by a web or a channel called the people profiles that was very well done. And that's where I got a lot of the information on Nixon's life from. And then I also just used a ton of online sources uh, from like vanity fair. There's a lot of uh, government sources that recount the Watergate scandal. Some of those are biased because they're like the Nixon Foundation. So yeah, going to paint that in a certain light. But there's a lot of really good reporting on this. And there's a lot of articles you can find from contemporary sources because this happened in the 70s. So there's a lot of contemporary reporting as the Washington Post is like the biggest one to break the story and stuff. So yeah, probably yeah. one of the most well-covered presidents, I'd imagine. Just oh, the yeah. amount of content that there is. You know, when you do a scandal like this, when you commit one of these crimes, as they call it, yeah, people tend to cover you a little bit more than like Ford, who takes over for Nixon. Right. Not a ton gets he doesn't get talked about a ton. Exactly. So Richard, as he grew up, was kind of a small and somewhat sickly child. He never really excelled in sports, but instead he focused on academics and found a love for music in an effort to find praise from his parents in different avenues other than like athletics and stuff like that. So he excelled at violin and piano. His grades were always fantastic, and it actually led to positions of responsibility in school for him. Like in eighth grade, he was the class president. As I mentioned, kind of a nerd growing up. Mm, sounds like a certified dweeb. Yeah, absolutely dork. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> After graduating from middle school, Richard Nixon continued his good academic streak in high school. He was a straight-A student. He participated in drama club and debate team, and he actually got a spot on the JV football team. That I don't a know boy. if he played much, mm. but... <laughs> He lost a bid to be the student body president at his high school, Whittier High School, to a more popular and well-off student. And this was kind of the start for Richard Nixon's dislike of the wealthy elite and just people who had a better spot in life than he was privileged with. So, Also people that were prettier than him. <laughs> Doesn't take a lot. Yeah, he's not the best looking president, <laughs> no. quite frankly. And this is when they started, uh, well, they already had, but... This is when television really took off, and so you all like all the debates were broadcasted. I mean, he's going up against JFK. I know that's who's like he's the like definition of the handsome president, if you can call anyone that. So a lot of people say to this day that because the television was invented, JFK won that presidency. Oh yeah, he did. Like a young upstart, it's like dang, he's good looking. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later once they debate each other and stuff. But it definitely helped. During his adolescence, two of Richard's brothers got sick and died from tuberculosis-related issues, which gave him a constant sense of urgency to make sure that he accomplished something with his life. And this was kind of enforced when he was gifted a portrait of Abraham Lincoln in high school, and it had a quote, and I don't have the full quote, but it was related to leaving footprints in the sands of time. And 
he kind of made a promise to himself at this spot to to do something with his life because, you know, his brothers didn't have the opportunity and he wanted to make sure that if his time ended up being short, that he did something worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Very admirable, like wanting that sense and drive of wanting to leave your mark on history, do something. And in his mind, most of the things he was doing was for the greater good. Just got caught. Yeah. And I think this is me like putting uh, assertions onto his lifestyle, but like, I think this part of his life where his brothers die and he gets out of high school and starts going to college, I think this is where he tries to latch onto whatever he can to try and make a name for himself. Mm-hmm. And it just ends up that he finds the avenue of politics at some point. He just has that opportunity. Right. And I think that's kind of the core of who Nixon becomes because he doesn't really have any strong convictions about anything, really, at the end of the day. He's just doing whatever's going to get him approval. And whatever someone brings to light for him, which is why Henry Kissinger has such a big impact on his presidency. So I think he's just kind of empty at the end of the day, and he's just looking for stuff to fill that with. Very interesting that an approval seeker to the extent that I'm going to win the presidency. So I have I have concrete proof that at least a majority of this country likes me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but. That's not to say that like he didn't work for that. Like, right, he definitely yeah, put in very time. Lightly. Yeah. So obviously, the century that Nixon was growing up in was full of massive changes in the world as at large because technology was rapidly advancing, society was beginning to change along with those advancements, and it was kind of the time when self-made men were starting to compete with these financial elites. Like it wasn't just the Rockefellers and all of those guys at the top anymore. You had guys like Henry Ford who were making their own way and becoming just as powerful as those other guys were. It was also the time when women were starting to venture out of the home. They were starting to go to school, like college, enter the workforce more, and new political ideals were starting to infiltrate the public mind. And not to mention, two world wars followed immediately by a decades-long standoff between world powers were also all happening during Nixon's lifetime. The 1900s was a crazy time to grow up. Like yeah. if you were born in the 19, like if you were born 1910 and lived in 1980, you saw so much stuff. Oh, yeah. Like the first half of the 20th century is just insane. Wowza. <laughs> <laughs> I think about the two, like 2000s. To this point, it's like, oh yeah, we also have some pretty crazy things that have happened. Oh yeah. After graduating high school third in his class, Nixon was focused on college, and because of his academics, Richard was offered full rides to Harvard and Yale. But because his family wasn't very well off, Richard's parents had to tell him to decline the offers, despite the fact they were excited that he had gotten those offers. Wow. A full ride to Harvard and Yale. Ever heard of them? Yeah, but I mean, you still got to pay for room and board. You got to pay for right. meals. You got to pay for all that. And it was just cheaper for him to stay at home and live at home. So he ended up going to local Whittier College and stayed with his parents at home. He continued there with the debate team and ended up being student council president in his junior year of college. So he finally got the spot after high school again. And that was kind of the first time he started realizing that he could build a good base and create friends through campaigning and that's how you can get into positions is really going through the people around you instead of just talking your way into a microphone you know very interesting that wonder what his life looks like if he does go to harvard or yale 
I mean, he just finds success in like in a different field. I'm sure he's not getting like a class presidency at Harvard or Yale. Right. That's very assumptive, but but that's gonna be a little bit tougher than at the same time. He like hated the wealthy elite though, and that's that's, like all that is. So Mm -hmm. you wonder if he even fits in there. You wonder if he turns into like a Ted Kaczynski because he gets shunned by all of these other people there. We just need. Oh my God! Could you? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, could have changed his entire trajectory in a different way. Wow. Now you know how Marvel does the "What If" series. Yeah, that would have been a great one. To <laughs> if do. Nixon went to Harvard, <laughs> right? Just the "What If" on all these different things. If Ted Gazinski had friends, <laughs> yeah, if he was cool, yeah. When he was at Whittier College, he was rejected from one of the student societies because his background wasn't as prestigious as they wanted it to be. So he and his friends and other students formed their own society, giving it the motto of being dedicated to the four Bs. And do you want to guess what those four B's are, Evan? <laughs> um, I'm trying to be serious about this one. Okay. okay. Um, bylaws. Nope. Is it sillier than that? Yes. This is a silly four B's? Yes. Beer. Boobs. Babes. <laughs> <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's beans, brawn, brain, and bowels. And bowels apparently meant fortitude. Oh, so not as silly. <laughs> no, it's just, yep. Beans, brawn, bowels. And brain. <laughs> the four Bs. Wow. Put that on a poster and they were all, all their names started with B. Instead I'm of sure. live, laugh, love, they had beans, brawn, brains, and bowels. Damn, that'd be a good t-shirt. That would be hilarious with Nixon's face on It'd it. It'd be such a like niche audience oh like yeah only, there's not a lot of people that would know what the hell that <laughs> we means. gotta make it a thing we do but this was just another instance that made richard despise those who were born into a more privileged position than himself but after whittier richard did attend duke university school of law and he made sacrifices yeah. there to save money so that he could continue his education there like eating milky way bars for meals Oh, so he was like scrapping along. He was what our friend Teddy did in high school and just ate Milky bars. Way bars for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Milky Way bars and a, ch- or a Mountain Dew. But when he went to Duke, this is also where he kind of first encountered Southern racism for the first time. And at the time, he condemned it as a moral outrage. He realized, like, this isn't good, guys. We need to make sure that this isn't a thing that keeps going. <laughs> yeah. Like, if we're going to be anything. Be a not racist future president. <laughs> That's definitely a good step. But this is also where his imposter syndrome really kicks off because he is being recognized finally and he's going to these events, but he only has like one suit. So he's wearing this singular suit that he has and he's getting praise for his academics and stuff like that. But he just doesn't, he's not used to it. He feels like he doesn't belong there, kind of. I'm sure a lot of the just small talk gravitated towards wealth. Oh, sure. Like the different things that you buy, the new suits. Yacht Club, I'm sure, got thrown in there if we're talking about Duke. Right. Like, there's there's a lot of reason, good reason for him to feel that imposter syndrome at this point in his life. And it's also funny, because I was reading on Reddit and, like, Ask Historian threads and stuff about Nixon, and there was a guy that said he went to Duke on, like, the tour, and Nixon's, like, the one famous person that they don't mention at all in the tour. Which is kind of interesting. Oh, I that's true. I had no idea that Nixon went to Duke, and that's a very prestigious school. Yeah, like mostly for like 
basketball, I would say, but still, he is right. not, he's not using any of the marketing he's materials. Famous. <laughs> like, yeah. and they don't mention him on the tours there at all because of Watergate, pretty much, and interesting. Vietnam probably and stuff like that. But yeah. After he graduated from Duke, he returned home. He was kind of unable to find work in his, with his new law degree that he had. And he even attempted to get a job at the FBI, but was turned down. So he turned to his parents and his mom actually eventually found him a job at a local law firm where he originally struggled to make his way through, but they kind of kept, they should have fired him for some of the things that he did early on. But eventually he was made a partner in the company once he got his footing. So he figured it out. <laughs> well, there you go. He eventually landed it. It went from almost being fired to a partner. Yeah, because he ruined a case because he asked the opposition how to fill out the paperwork. So, Can you imagine being that person that he's representing? Like, of course. That he got sued. Like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it was around this time also that Richard met the woman who would eventually be his wife. He was at an audition for a local play where he met Patricia Ryan. And boy, does Richard Nixon simp for this woman. <laughs> now that's very wholesome. It's very funny, though. Like, <laughs> hearing the story about a future president is kind of hilarious. So he asked her out. When they met, she refused. So a few days later, he tries again, and she laughs in his face. Oh, God. But he responds by saying, don't laugh. One day, I'm going to marry you. Very confident. Now that's fun. Guess what he does next, Evan? He dates someone else. No, he, dri he drives her to dates with other boys. Oh, now this is less wholesome. <laughs> so after pretty much two years of Richard's consistent attention, she finally realizes that, hey, yeah, maybe I do like you. And then they, oh. get, then they get married in 1940. But that that is just crazy context to get married right it's before. Very, it's very funny. Right before World War II. Yeah, honestly. Or I guess before we, yeah, like during World War II. It's, yeah, I, I just thought that was a, a hilarious, you just love bomb someone until they're like, fine. All right. <laughs> but, so they both came from similar upbringings and they both had a common hatred for wealthy elites. So that was probably a good talking point that they had. But as Evan just mentioned, soon after their marriage, the U.S. would end up being pushed into World War II as well. Richard got an offer as an attorney for a new government organization called the Office of Price Administration, and him and Patricia moved to Washington, D.C. to pursue this new career for him. So they were both very excited to move to this new exciting city, and it was also the beginning of Nixon's push towards politics, and he knew that he had a chance to join politics if he joined the military first. He knew that was a stepping stone. So in 1943, Nixon was sent out to the Pacific and experienced Japanese bombings, but he really didn't experience a lot of real combat. Instead, he opened a burger stand to feed the flight crews and won money, gambling, and poker. What? <laughs> that's what he did in his free time. <laughs> that's what... <laughs> Just picture him at, like, the... Uh... Like the Legion telling the story. <laughs> Just like, like there's one guy that was at freaking Iwo Jima. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's like, well, I got burgers. I was shirtless flipping burgers for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the career during the war saw him bounced around quite a bit. He was just in different stations. Never really saw a whole lot of combat. And eventually he was sent home to negotiate the canceling of military contracts in the United States once the war was over. All of these government contracts were up. The war was done. They didn't need to be renewed. So it was his job to go tell them, hey, these contracts are done. We need to sign off on finishing these up. 
But then, during this job, Richard received a letter from a bank manager back in Whittier, where he was from, and it offered him a shot at a Congress spot on the Republican ticket. Richard and Pat replied in less than 48 hours, and he resigned from the military with an honorable discharge. But this was the beginning of a kind of uncertain time for the Nixons, because this is a big leap of faith. Yeah, that's a, putting a lot of faith in like a huge risk for your career. Because it also probably doesn't look good. I know it's honorable discharge, but discharge is a discharge. You left early. Yeah, but I mean, once he gets back, he's just doing attorney work again. So at that point, it's probably not too hard to convince him. Just be like, get out of here, burger boy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But like, you're not guaranteed to even win the nomination. So that's true. It's a big step. Along with a new opportunity, though, Pat also gave birth to the couple's first child around this time, who was a girl named Trisha. The second child would come shortly afterwards. I think it's two years later, and I don't have her name written down, so I'm sorry to the youngest child of the Nixons. Nixon's move into Congress, as I mentioned, wasn't a guaranteed thing, but he did find new friends like California lawyers and political assistants who ended up teaching him how to destroy his opponents. Ooh, this is when he gets in the muck. Yes. So this is when he learns that the way to win is to smear your opponents into the ground. Even more valuable was a friendship with the political reporter for the New York Times, who helped shape public opinion of political figures. Basically, at this time, if you didn't have him on your side, you didn't stand a chance. You ha- Yeah, you have to be friends with certain people to get anything that you want in politics. Nixon went to work smearing his opponents, calling them out for potential communist ties, which was the big get at the time. Yes, the good old Red Scare-ish area. Very much so. Or time period. Right after the the World War has ended, the Cold War gets into full swing. (laughs) At the end of his first election, Nixon won big, getting 57% of the vote, and he took his spot in Congress. He quickly made friends with other new congressmen, like one John F. Kennedy and one Gerald Ford. Kennedy and Nixon became friends through their debates, despite their contrasting economic backgrounds, and they'd kind of carry their political careers in the same direction for a while. Until, you know, John F. Kennedy kind of lost his head a little bit. I was wondering how you were going to frame it, but you just went with the classics. Nixon, play, play, always play the hits. Yep. <laughs> Nixon was soon involved in programs like the Marshall Plan, which helped to assess the damages in Europe after World War II to determine foreign aid plans, which ultimately led to Richard voting against public opinion for the first time. He kind of went against a lot of the party lines on where, where he decided to put his votes. But he was becoming such a good public speaker that he won the re-election anyways. So he does kind of make his own way at the beginning, but he kind of loses that as he goes along. I wonder what his thought process was the first time like going against the public opinion or the people around him that supported him. Because we talked about before how he was seeking approval from people yeah, quite constantly in his early years, at least. So I wonder how that changed his mindset. Yeah, I... He's, he does a lot of good stuff during his career as a politician, but it's not enough to balance out this, the other things that he did. He took on a role at this point on the House Committee on American Activities, which was an absolute mess when he got there. So he took a lead on an investigation of a man named Alger Hiss, who was a well-educated lawyer who was accused of being a Soviet spy in the United States, both before and during World War II. There you go. I was wondering when we'd run into the first spy. Big accusations. 
There was a lot of doubts that Hiss was actually guilty of being a spy, but Nixon kind of stuck his head out on his own on this one and trusted his gut. And eventually, there is evidence known as the pumpkin tapes, which produ- which were proved that Hiss was a spy, basically. The pumpkin tapes. Because they were hidden in a pumpkin. I love espionage so much. I love the stories of espionage. I love that there was disappearing ink. I love that they were stored in pumpkins. <laughs> I love it all. It was fantastic. So yeah, Nixon was right, and this skyrocketed him into the spotlight, and he was kind of a celebrity overnight because mm-hmm. of this. So after this, the next obstacle for Richard Nixon was getting into the Senate, because he was in the House, but he needed to get into the Senate to have real big power. Where the big boys play. He To do this, he had to defeat Helen Douglas to get in, who was a devoted political follower of Roosevelt. Nixon did not hold back on her. <laughs> He printed Douglas's voting history on public pamphlets using pink paper and her own personal choices to attempt to paint her as a communist. Oh my. <laughs> Play the hits. <laughs> Honestly, that is gold. Like for this time period, playing into the Red Scare, it's on pink paper. So playing into, oh, she's a woman. And just like that's also Red Scare adjacent, you know? Right, right. But printing the voting history is crazy. How do you even get that? Right? I mean, I guess it's probably all open. Like, you can do that nowadays. You can see which no. Republicans and Democrats voted for which bills and stuff, I'm sure. But yeah, she, he just picked, nitpicked the votes that made it look like she was sympathetic to the communist cause. Printed it, printed it on pink paper, and people began to refer to her as the pink lady. No. <laughs> which she refuted, and she, in turn, attempted to paint Nixon as a communist, giving him the nickname Tricky Dick, which would stick with him throughout his life. Yeah, like, I understand playing in the mud, but when you have, like, when your name is Richard, it's very hard to not be called Dick. Heyo! Heyo! Yeah, so Tricky Dick is who you shall be. But it was Nixon who would end up winning this election in a landslide victory and would ultimately propel him into the eyeline of one Dwight D. Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Eisenhower was looking for a running mate for his presidential bid, and Nixon fit the bill. He was a veteran, he was well-educated, and he had made a name for himself through hard work and perseverance, similar to how Eisenhower had gotten to his position. The Eisenhower and Nixon campaign began to pick up steam, and their opponents immediately tried to attack them, specifically about Nixon's use of campaign funds. There's people that were throwing the slush fund accusation at him, saying he was using it for personal gain. After accusations of misusing those funds came to light, Nixon made the decision to go on TV and air his family's finances publicly, against Eisenhower's wishes. Yeah, that was something that no one wanted to happen. Like, no. You don't need to put it out there. Just live in the gray area. Right. You don't. Ha- it's, this is the situation where they're trying to make you deny, deny, deny. Yeah. And that's exactly what you just did on public television. Yeah. But it's called the Checkers speech because he talks about the family dog Checkers. Oh, good boy. After this, the duo won the presidency. They served together for eight years. And it's kind of uncertain how their relationship together actually was because no one can really tell if they actually liked each other or not. (laughs) But Nixon did have to stand in for Eisenhower on a few occasions because Eisenhower had a few health scares. 
But in general, Nixon was used as the international eyes and ears of the administration. He went on foreign relations bids. Mm -hmm. He went to South America. He went to Russia. And he met Nikita Khrushchev and other important foreign figures during this time. And this kind of scored him political points back home because the photographs that were coming back made it look like he was debating very harshly with Nikita Khrushchev and trying to push the American agenda. Like, okay. Sure. <laughs> Well-timed photograph. He's, he's just telling the photographer, like, in five minutes, 26 seconds, just take the picture. Yeah. I'll be like, I'll furl my brow. I'll look pissed. Well, and it was also the optics because the picture shows them debating in, like, a kitchen. And so it's like, it looks like this American setting, you know? Like, they're just debating politics in the kitchen. Not, It's not yeah. like this communist blocks and stone everywhere it's not like this cold unfeeling thing anyway it's just a kitchen you know yeah so despite almost everyone thinking that nixon was going to be a shoo-in for the next presidency after eisenhower he struggled quite hard against this competition because he was going up against john f kennedy john f kennedy was popular and well-spoken and after the eight years was up after Eisenhower got done with his second term. He didn't really back up Nixon well during his press talks in the campaign years because they asked him for a good thing to say about Nixon. He said, give me a week and maybe I'll think of one thing. Oh, so <laughs> that's where they kind of get like the we don't know if these guys really got along. Yeah. Needing the full seven days is is kind of tough. But I, that's very, very popular with most running mates. They don't actually care for each other at all yeah i mean it's a at the end of the day it's a political move right so nixon also made the decision to run himself ragged during this campaign by trying to visit every one of the 50 states on his campaign run which meant that by the time of the televised debate with john f kennedy nixon looked like a zombie <laughs> those who listened on the radio actually said that nixon was better in the debate so he probably would have won had there not been a television who showed JFK carrying himself much more like a president would. And he was tan, he was well-rested. That just that just totally reminds me of when Trump won. Yeah. <laughs> like, he wouldn't debate at all. He'd just be like, this guy's wife is a dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, say the most random stuff. So, he did... His talking points were good. Just yeah. he was pale. His eyes were deep set. He just didn't look good on the television. And people just, they kind of looked like thought he was creepy. Like, is he dead? Yeah, is he, <laughs> is okay? he a dead man? At the end of the campaign, Nixon lost in an extremely close race with JFK. But there were also talks that the Kennedy family used their connections in Illinois and Texas to help shift votes in Kennedy's favor. And when he was asked if he was going to contest the election, Nixon conceded to JFK. But he kind of held a grudge against the family for a while after that. Mm -hmm. At this point, after losing the election, Nixon didn't really know what to do because this was the first time he had lost an election. He decided to take a break from politics. He wrote his first memoir, attempted to put politics behind him, and he made a statement on the radio at this point telling the press that they couldn't attack him anymore because he was stepping down, and that was his last press conference. Psych! <laughs> so he moves to New York, he practices law, he travels the world, and he pushed other Senate candidates and helped them win elections, and... That led him to dip his whole foot back into politics in 1968 when he announced a run for president. <laughs> it's like every time I think I'm out, they just keep on pulling Put me back, back in. It's called like one of the greatest political comebacks of all time because he just came out of nowhere, like left field. 
How many years was he out of politics? Uh, like, so 1960 was the election. Well, like eight. Yeah, it was eight like eight years, years or so, yeah. I, I believe. And then he just came back roaring. That is pretty, you gotta give him some credit. That's pretty impressive. For yeah, a man he, that people thought was dead on TV during <laughs> the eight years ago to run it back <laughs> is very impressive. Yeah, so he like kind of just came out of left field and said, I'm running this year. It helped because 1968 was a huge year in American politics. In American just society in general, it's called probably the most contentious and most important year in American history just because of how much happened. And Lyndon B. Johnson made an announcement in that same year that he wasn't going to run for a re-election because there was so much going on in the United States. There was a lot of domestic pressure, especially against the Vietnam War and all of these civil rights protests that were going on. And then on top of that, Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy are both assassinated in the same year. So a lot of stuff happens and Johnson's like, I just... I can't handle all that. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens in that year. That is crazy. It's mostly because there's a lot of pressure to pull out of Vietnam, and he just Mm -hmm. can't deal with that. And so, yeah, he steps down and says, I'm not going to run again. So that leaves the door open for Nixon. In one of the, like, as I mentioned, one of the greatest political comebacks of all time, Richard Nixon won the election by less than 1% of the popular vote. Very, very close. Wow. His campaign promises of achieving peace in Vietnam and working towards equality for minorities were enough to propel him into the White House. During his inauguration, Nixon talked to the nation of national reconciliation and unity between all Americans. He kind of said, everyone's got to work together if we're going to make it through all of this tough times that we got going on. And to his credit, his first term was extremely productive. He uh, created the Environmental Protection Agency, otherwise known as the EPA and the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, otherwise known as OSHA, to name a couple of organizations that he started. Uh, He reorganized the Postal Service. He expanded the National Park Service. He signed the Clean Air and Water Pollution Control Act. He expanded financing for cancer research and arts funding. He offered more spending towards low-income families. He ended school segregation in the South and signed legislation to offer equal opportunities for minorities and for women. I've never heard the full list of Richard Nixon and like what he's done outside of Watergate, but to be the one to desegregate schools and to get no recognition for it is crazy. Yeah, he did. A, he did do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like his, his is considered to be one of the busiest first terms in presidential history. So yeah, he gets a lot done. That's not to say that there wasn't like bad ramifications from it, but oh yeah, I mean yeah, he he did do a lot. So at the same time that he was getting all of this done, he began the war on drugs, which carried into the modern day and has ultimately been viewed as a failure by a lot of people. It's Nixon's war on drugs isn't the same as Reagan's war on drugs, and Reagan's is kind of the one that comes later and influences where we are now. Mm -hmm. Nixon was more concerned with like heroin and cocaine, which were big things that a lot of the veterans were dealing with and Mm -hmm. a lot of people from the Vietnam War were bringing back with them. So that was kind of the big issue that he was trying to tackle. But at the same time, it still started kind of having this inflated prison system and kind of being a racially and economically targeted attack against certain people. Yeah, like it is, they are different, but the mindset against like these drugs and how it's approached. This is definitely started by Nixon. Yeah. Similarly, a lot of the long-term effects of a lot of the policies that he enacted led to 
what is known as stagflation in the United States. It's basically a state of high inflation rates combined with high unemployment and stagnant demand in the economy. So basically, the economy is not growing and people are losing, like just not working. And all of that is combined with high in- inflation rates. And it's just, it's not a good economic scenario to be in. No. Like this post war, like I know post World War II or post World War One, like there was like economic boom for the United States. Um, not so much with post Vietnam. I mean, this is still during Vietnam, so right, but like just getting yeah, to that point. Yeah, so it's there's a lot of like longer term effects that end mm. up being kind of negative for Richard Nixon's presidency and like some of the things that he enacts. But overall, it kind of seems like if Watergate didn't happen, Nixon would be more so viewed as a good president, bad. Oh, for sure. I mean, again, desegregate, desegregating schools in the South. Yeah. Like, that, he's def- he probably has a statue. And one of the biggest things that I saw mentioned a lot is that he pushed a lot for Native Americans. Mm-hmm. There was a, a bill that he passed, I believe, in 1970 that really helped out Native Americans and gave them a voice kind of mm-hmm. and a lot of native americans are like he did the most for us out of any modern president so we really give him a lot of credit for that which is very good uh he was uh, able to establish relations with the people's republic of china and the soviets and those are both good things because it kind of lessened tensions he handled both sides very well uh but also ordered a lot of bombing runs and he kind of entered into expanded areas of the Vietnam War, like Cambodia and Laos. So that part of it's not as fun. You gotta take the good with the bad, you know? But also a lot of that was because Henry Kissinger was constantly in his ear pushing him to do these things. Bomb them. Bomb them. Bomb them. (laughs) I I learned a a little more about Henry Kissinger as a person. He is just a a maniac. The unsung maniac, like behind a president he was so when lyndon johnson was transitioning out of office and was making like the peace promises about pulling out of vietnam and there was there was talks between north and south korea like for the first time on Mm -hmm. negotiations to like sit down and say how can we end this kissinger was working that side and also working with nixon to win the campaign so he was actively sabotaging the plans that Lyndon B. Johnson was making and telling the South, like, keep upping the demands for mm-hmm. what you want until the negotiations fall through. And then Nixon can run on making sure that he pulls out so he can win re-election next time. So he was actively, like, relaying information from both sides of the coin. And he was like, whatever side gets me more power is where I'm going to be. That is the very definition of, like, sitting on the fence. He it's he committing. was a double. He was a double agent. It's committing treason. Yeah, like <laughs> no two if fans or if fans or butts about it. So yeah, he he was not a good guy for Nixon to be involved with. But, yeah. but at the end of the day, Nixon did kind of deescalate in Vietnam. He started pulling out troops. He got the POWs back from Vietnam, and all of this is like a dramatic oversimplification of what he did in Vietnam because it's a very complicated issue. But yeah, the V. <laughs> Vietnam is very complicated to just be like, and now we're out. Yeah, but overall, you know, it was his presidency is looked at as if Watergate didn't happen, it would probably be viewed as more than likely good. A very successful one, I would say. But alas, Vietnam would ultimately be the reason why the infamous Watergate scandal ended up coming to fruition. Now we get into the story. 
So you see, while the public was deeply divided on the Vietnam War, the government was attempting to sort out its own feelings about the conflict as well. This led to the Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara forming a plan to put together a comprehensive study of the United States and Vietnam relations from 1945 to the current day at the time, which was 1967. This investigation will ultimately get compiled into what would come to be known as the Pentagon Papers, which consisted of 7,000 pages and 47 volumes that detailed 22 years of American foreign relations with Vietnam. Wowza. Like, <laughs> who had to put that together? <laughs> it's a big old team of Did guys. Did they have printers back then? Yeah, like, yes, they had a, printers. <laughs> they, like, but like printers, printers, <laughs> like our printers. I mean, just, he had to print the pink lady pamphlets, so. That's true. But, <laughs> oh my God, 700 pages. 7,000 pages. Forgot a zero. <laughs> <laughs> so what's really important about this document is that not only had it compiled decades of information in one place, but it also proved that a lot of the points that anti-war protesters were making in public were actually talking points within government that had been ignored or bypassed. Oh, well, not, look at that. Not good. These papers originally had nothing to do with Richard Nixon because it was before his term as president, but this would largely come to signify the beginning of the end of his presidency. The problem started when large parts of the Pentagon Papers were leaked to the New York Times. Daniel Ellsberg, who is a defense analyst serving in the Pentagon's International Security Affairs Division, or ISA, from 1964 to 1965, had become a member of the task force in charge of compiling the Pentagon Papers. He got put on this panel. He was a member of the RAND Corporation. He got assigned to this panel of people who were just supposed to compile all this together into one place. So he's getting to see all of these classified documents about the Vietnam War that aren't public information. A lot of trust. Yes. While looking into these reports, his suspicions grew about government involvement, and a lot of what he thought was confirmed. After spending time in Vietnam himself, Ellsberg grew convinced that the military strategy there was going to fail. He became more and more frustrated that the government was still engaging in the same systematic deception about the war that it had at the beginning, and it be he began his own plan to leak the documents of the Pentagon Papers. He snuck out of the offices, photocopied the documents, and leaked it in 1971 to the New York Times. Originally, he did go to the members of the Congress, but they all declined to enter the papers into record, so that's why he ended up going to a publication, and the New York Times ran the story. What did they think, what did the Congress folk think was going to happen by not entering it? Like, oh, he'll just ignore it, this man who thinks that we're doing everything wrong in Vietnam. I just think, I think they wanted to, they just didn't want their name attached to it, because oh, one yeah. of them actually said, like, take this to the New York Times or something, like, yeah. take this to the press, have them run it. Interesting. So, yeah, it. that's kind of how he got the idea, honestly. <laughs> that's when the news would be very cool. Like, we don't get those types of just bombs dropped for lack of a better word in our news anymore yeah, we get memes of trump's mugshot <laughs> like do we got i saw a clip on twitter yesterday from a news station where a senator literally got up to fight someone <laughs> and you may be thinking they were arguing like he said no stand up we're fighting those I mean, are real words. I miss the days when like, that people would just cane each other on the Senate floor. Like, You remember when that was American politics? Ah, the good old days. Like, and like, then you could step out and just, anytime you drank water, maybe get dysentery. Yep. <laughs> so, might as well beat each other with sticks. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this, when it got released, these Pentagon Papers, it was a huge bomb for the government, as you can expect. And although Nixon wasn't too concerned at first because he believed that he could spin this to kind of prove that the war was his predecessor's mistakes, not his, he eventually grew pretty paranoid about this. He focused more on finding the person who leaked the information than on targeting the New York Times and suing the New York Times to tell them to stop running these stories because it was multiple parts. They had a a lot of information on this. Mm -hmm. So they just kept releasing it like week after week. 7,000 pages. Yeah. He didn't target them, even though his advisors are like, you got to tell them to stop. Yeah. But by that time, there's also other publications that were already picking up on it, too. So it was kind of hard to tackle it all at once. And eventually, it did go to court. They lost. And then all the papers just continued what they were doing. But Nixon really worried that some of his personal involvements in Vietnam, like the bombing of Cambodia, were going to come to light through all of these papers. Not my burgers. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, hey... I told all of these people that I was not going to expand the war into a neutral country like Cambodia. I did that, though. I gave the A-OK. I lied. (laughs) I told Henry Kissinger to point at a map and tell them to bomb. (laughs) Literally did that. They literally threw darts at a map of southeastern Asia. It's like, who's next? They there was a plan that was proposed where they were just going to thermonuclear bomb parts of North Korea. It's like, no, (laughs) they were can't do that. (laughs) Yeah, they were taking the who needs it (laughs) exactly. They were taking the will will the Russians really bomb us back? Yeah, right. Just not not good times in the Nixon administration. (laughs) No, the government appealed to the courts as I mentioned, but they couldn't stop the New York Times from publishing, and eventually it came to the forefront with a high degree of certainty that Daniel Ellsberg was the person that had leaked the Pentagon Papers. And this is when Nixon's focus shifts. With his paranoia beginning to grow, Nixon became convinced that he was the target of a conspiracy seeking to destroy him. But but they took the approach of let him do it himself. Exactly. Because of this paranoia, he formed a group known as the White House Special Investigations Unit, or the plumbers because they were supposed to stop leaks it's so beautiful that's so like chef's kiss on the branding (laughs) and on the naming apparently it was like one of the person who was like one of the people involved it was like their grandmother (laughs) because they told him like yeah i gotta stop the leaks of information like that's what this whole thing's gonna be about and she's like oh so you're like a plumber and then they just adopted the name run with it (laughs) This group was led partially by E. Howard Hunt, who was involved in the failed Bay of Pigs invasion. If you want more information on that whole fiasco, you can go back and listen to our Cuban Missile Crisis episode. We go through that a little bit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And alongside him was a man known as G. Gordon Liddy, who was a huge fan of the Nazi SS. Yeah, like that was one of the things that I'm very... In the show, The Plumbers, that we talked about earlier... They do have, they do feature that man a lot. I saw in a trailer. Would love to see his reasoning. Like how he, he doing the show. I've like listened to a lot about him specifically because he's kind of like a huge part of the whole Watergate story. And he is just nuts. Like he he just brings up the Nazis for no reason all the time. Where does a president find these people? 
he's this guy like g gordon liddy specifically just gets kicked around like the treasury department stuff for years and Mm -hmm. then people are just constantly trying to get rid of him until someone's like he's just crazy enough that he could be good in this role he won't stop talking about the ss (laughs) took people to a screening of triumph of the will from the white house to like staff Uh, yeah he's a he's an interesting guy he's a character but with these two guys in charge the group eventually broke into daniel ellsberg's psychiatrist's office to try and dig up some sort of dirt on ellsberg want to guess what they found sex things no they found nothing oh (laughs) absolutely nothing worthwhile i am oh for three i think on these different (laughs) guesses they did such a bad job that none of the photos that they took turned out because Liddy couldn't figure out how to use the spy camera. <laughs> it was just his thumb was always in front of the lens, like your, like your dad trying to take a family photo. <laughs> yeah. So this is the beginning of what I like to consider the Three Stooges era of the Watergate scandal, because it is amazing to me how many giant political fiascos are just cartoon characters. Like... <laughs> It is insane to me that this is a true story. (laughs) After not being able to take good photos because he couldn't figure out the spy camera, they decided to take photos of their break-in outfits to show like how good they looked and promptly sent all of those photos to the CIA to be developed. All right. After this, the plumbers are told to stop being idiots because they could be directly tied back to the Nixon administration. So if they got caught, it would be real bad. How and having not- photos that you just sent to the CIA proving that you were there, it's not a good step. And this was when the selfie was created. <laughs> yeah. So the next time, when they went back to go break in again to try and get actual photos, Liddy and Hunt had to stand outside while some Cuban refugees from the Bay of Pigs invasion broke in. They got some photo. They did get some photos, but also do a bad job and have to stage the scene like a burglary and spread pills around the room to make it look like a junkie committed the crime. A very specific place for a junkie to break in, I guess. This is like this is one of the sad parts. Like there is a guy that like a druggie who gets arrested and goes to jail for this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not a good like they really do mess with someone's life here. They also use refugees. <laughs> yeah. Like just in case there is someone in there, go in there. But they, like, they can't get in through the door that they thought they were going to get in through. So they broke a window, just already got went off script and just like made a ton of noise. So yeah, Liddy's just like, what would the what would the SS do? So I guess they're like a half for two right now. Like they got photos, but they did it all wrong. <laughs> I love that. I love this group of men. Like this is our next Halloween costume. Yeah. <laughs> Please, can we be G. Gordon, Lydia, and E. Howard Hunt? Dibs on not the Nazi one. I mean, you do look more like him than I do, so I guess... It's the mustache, isn't it? It is, literally. But at the same time, the Nixon campaign was ramping up for a re-election run. So Tricky Dick knew that he couldn't be having all of these leaks coming out of his administration like the Pentagon Papers. So he told his chief of staff to basically create a secret operations program that could do shady shit and weed out insubordination and kind of get dirt on his enemies. And he knew going, like, from the rip that this is probably going to be illegal. So he made sure to not sign his name on any of it, which hey. is the one thing that he did right. There you go. So he, instead of putting his name on it, had Robert Haldeman, who was his chief of staff, basically harass employees of the Nixon campaign committee to reelect the president, which was known as Creep. Again, these names <laughs> are just fantastic. So the whole operation became known as the Tickler. 
this is the, you're messing with me. <laughs> These are all serious things that happened. This I, is the, I like, can't I can't wait till we talk about who we talked about yeah, when we get to that name. So like I said, this is the cartoon portion of the of the whole thing. So what the tickler was is basically a massive game of telephone in which the whole committee and anyone involved would be given tasks by Robert Haldeman and then hounded by other committee members to push people to accomplish those tasks quickly. So basically you would get a task from Robert Haldeman, and then everyone else would be like, did you finish that up yet? Did you get that done yet? Are you going to finish that? Please get that done. For like just making you just absolutely insane. And I would murder myself. And all of this, as I mentioned, is a game of telephone. It's all being passed from person to person to person. So by the time it gets to its end destination, it's not always going to be right. That's ridiculous. More often than not, it's probably wrong. So not only did this breed a machine-like efficiency in the campaign, but it also opened the door for various proposals to be accepted without thorough examination because of deadlines, which is how you eventually get approval to form a shady, essentially presidentially appointed group that can route out potential leaks and enemies of a campaign. It got got messed up in like the scuttlebud of the office. That's what he wanted, though. That's what Nixon wanted, but he just didn't want anyone to understand what was going on. Ridiculous. Like, truly a Looney Tunes operation. So you want to guess who gets put in charge of this group, Evan? Kissinger. G. Gordon Liddy. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) He somehow gets put in charge under the guise of political intelligence and gaining an upper hand on political opponents. Oh, he is rock hard when he gets this position. Oh, yeah. This is his dream job. Yeah. But essentially, Liddy is put there because he's just insane enough to come up with creative plans to do this job. For example, one of his plans was to tail Democratic airplanes with another plane that could listen in on conversations that were taking place in said Democratic airplane. How? (laughs) He said he had some sort of thing that could do it. We don't have that technology now, I believe. He was like, we have to be like within a certain distance of the plane to be able to hear it. (laughs) So he's like, I don't know. We've got to get a tailplane that just won't be found out. And they're all like, where do you think we're going to get the money for this? We don't have funding for yeah, that. Yeah, they don't have budget. I'm just picturing him buy a thousand straws, <laughs> and we'll just put it, to, we'll glue them together, and we'll sneak them in the window with the other plane. He also had an idea, I guess, to like get a bunch of hippies and get them drugged up and send them to Senator McGovern's office and just have them piss on the floor. <laughs> I love imagining the different like board meetings or just meetings of history. It's like, all right, everyone, no bad ideas here. All ideas welcome. Let's put them on the board. Yeah, this is the like the meme where the guy gets thrown out of the boardroom yeah. window, <laughs> and that's the guy that's suggesting something like reasonable. Yeah. And then the other two are G. Gordon Liddy and E. Howard Hunt. <laughs> so because his plan to tail another plane doesn't get greenlit, he says that he can break into and wiretap the Democratic Committee headquarters. Also seems insane. And this is before how-to videos, so... (laughs) But this idea gets him $250,000 in funding, which is equivalent to nearly $2 million today. $2 million in the hands of this man is very scary. (laughs) I guess most of it was just used to stay in very fancy hotels, because they said that that no real criminal would believe them if they weren't, like, living the high life. We can't... (laughs) We can't be in this Motel 6. Unbelievable. No one's going to think we're legit. Yeah. 
after he gets his funding, G. Gordon Liddy hires a guy named James McCord to help him out with his plan because McCord, on paper, has the credentials to be a spy who could do this type of work. But McCord is also the head of security for the Nixon campaign, which directly ties this insanely illegal plan directly back to the president. Yeah, points all fingers back to him. <laughs> but Liddy makes sure that McCord doesn't actually participate in the burglary, but just advises on where to place the taps. Mm. Instead of McCord going, guess who they use? Cuban refugees. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> So this ragtag crew tries to get into the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee. They try it once, but they can't get in the door and the locksmith can't get the door open. Do they just expect to have a key like to every door in I, Washington, D.C.? Pretty much. It's like, why doesn't the money skeleton can, key work? Money can open any door, my friend, mm. especially when you have Nazi power on your side. I heard that in faith, but I don't know if <laughs> Jesus is going to come and open the Watergate doors. <laughs> So once they failed the first time, they came back later. They do get in, but they can't find the office of Democratic candidate George McGovern's campaign chairman, which is who they were looking for, supposedly. So they end up bugging an empty conference room. <laughs> we have one of these where we have all of our meetings. Do you think we could just do this? Yeah. <laughs> they just taped it to the bottom of the table. They had no plan. <laughs> so the second time was also not the one. They go back. Again, this time with McCord in tow to make sure that the taps are not only moved, but that they're used correctly. Jeez. <laughs> so they intended to bug multiple areas, and one of those areas was said to be like a smoke detector. So if they would have gotten this correct, it would have been a huge operation. Mm -hmm. But this time was going to be their last time. Not because they succeed, but because to keep the locks on the doors from engaging and keeping them trapped inside, they taped over them. But instead of taping the locks vertically so that you couldn't see the tape on the outside of the door, they taped them horizontally, which exposed the tape to the outside of the doors, which eventually a night watchman finds and calls the cops. Yeah. You can't be... <laughs> How do you not... They're just like acting a lot on like assumptions. Like, I assume we're not going to get caught. Just take the shortcut and do it horizontally. Oh, but Evan, they had a plan to prevent capture, even if the cops were called. But McCord had his walkie-talkie turned down so far that he couldn't hear the worn out looking or the, the warning that the lookout had given them that the cops were there. Liddy's just like cyanide pills. Everyone take one. <laughs> like, sheesh. Yeah, Jordan down. Liddy's just like across the street watching this all unfold. Like, god damn it, end it, end it. He's ready to burn the building to the ground. <laughs> So, June 17th, 1972 was the day the five men who broke into the Watergate complex were caught <laughs> after their cartoon shenanigans. After, after betrayal and dastardly deeds from people they trusted. No, literally themselves. They, they, they messed it up. Absolute idiots. Uh, it was said that like one of the bugs that they originally placed in the Watergate complex on like the second time that they got in, it was like a $30,000 wiretap. It just didn't work at all functionally like didn't work Did, where do they get these from radio shack like, g gordon liddy acquired them all so who knows i he's like he's like i know a guy trust me best stuff on the business so almost immediately after these guys are caught things seemed a bit suspicious because of how well the men were dressed and how many rolls of film they had on them in addition they just had stacks of cash on them wow this is the most well-funded 
plumbers that you've ever seen. Most of the time, you don't see people breaking into a place with, with money. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah. They also had the phone number for the White House re-election committee in their belongings. So, kind of gives you a hint that it might be tied back to someone in the White House. They kind of memorized it. <laughs> Nixon and his team knew that this could eventually trace back to them. So, he got ahead of it and made a public statement saying that he and his team were not involved in any way. Please stop looking into it. On to the next thing. Do not look at the man behind the curtain. <laughs> But that worked for the public because they voted him back into the office in 1972 by a very large margin. That is true. He did kill it in the second, in yeah. the second uh, election. But when McCord, who was the secretary or the chief of staff, who was just or not, he was the security head for the campaign, who was just arrested, tried to break into the Democratic National Headquarters. Once he was brought into for questioning the next morning after he was caught, he stated that he used to work for the CIA which was a literal holy shit moment for one of the men who ended up reporting on Watergate later. That, it's like, ever heard of that organization? Yeah. Over the following months, investigators and journalists began to uncover more information that pointed towards a grand scheme behind the burglary, and Nixon was also working behind the scenes on his end at the same time. He offered the five men who were arrested bribes and hush money in order for them to retain their silence in court. Basically. Plead guilty and don't expand on the situation related to your crimes so nothing comes back to us. On the priority list for a president, for, for Nixon, what do you think that this was when it first dropped? Like when they first got caught? Do you think it sprung to number one or do you, did you think, I said something publicly, no one will dig into this? Yeah, I think it was probably, like, I don't think it was priority number one for like the first maybe three months, I yeah. think, or, or so. And then once it hits, like, October, he's like, fuck. <laughs> rut row. Yeah. Yeah, he probably is just... He's truly probably just thinking, this won't be the thing to take me down. I was careful. Like, they, they're not going to bring it back to me. No one could point their fingers to me. G. Gordon Liddy and Hunt would also be later arrested for their involvement, but they, to their credit, remained quiet the entire time. They never gave up anything. Perhaps. In addition, Nixon and his aides instructed the CIA to hinder the FBI investigation into the Watergate case in order to come up with an adequate cover-up. In simple terms, Nixon abused presidential power to hinder an investigation. Which, for those at home, you can't do. That's not legal. <laughs> no siree, Bob. But one by one, those dominoes began to fall back towards Nixon. An anonymous source at the time, nicknamed Deep Throat, was relaying information to reporters about the case as the investigation was ongoing. The names of everything in the story just makes it so, so beautiful. It's truly, my, I just love it so This much. is probably one of my favorite just episodes, just because we knew like, oh, Watergate, very serious president, just like resigns in disgrace. All the names in the story is preposterous. Yes. Yeah. Once you actually look into what Watergate actually was, it's so much more preposterous than it actually should have been. It's so embarrassing. It is. Like, it's legitimately embarrassing that they were so bad at what they were doing. It's just so bad. It's literally a cartoon. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's a Three Stooges sketch, how badly everything goes. Right. 
It later came out that the source known as Deep Throat was Mark Felt, who was a former FBI assistant director. And while in jail, McCord was offered hush money and early release if he kept quiet, kind of like the other burglars were. But he ended up talking. He wrote to the judge, whose name was John Sirica, and in his letter, he told that people higher up than G. Gordon Liddy were involved in the case, as well as the fact that political pressure had been put on the defendants and that witnesses had committed perjury. White House counsel John Dean also read a 245-page statement about members of the Nixon staff who lied under oath and even implicated Nixon himself. But ultimately, this kind of came to a stalemate because it was just both sides saying he did this, they did that. This also feeds into Nixon's, not insecurities, but his paranoia. Oh, he is batshit paranoid at this point. Right. So this, like, before this all takes place, he has utmost paranoia like with the Pentagon Papers. And then this happens. Yeah. And his entire political career, he's been getting attacked because... He's also attacking everyone else. So yeah. you're putting a target on your own back there, buddy. But he reinvents himself as this nice guy once he gets into office. And then he's like, there's a conspiracy against me. They're all coming for me. Mm-hmm. And then the Pentagon papers come out and he's like, that's all I need. Ain't no more. Yeah, he stops being a, a like good old nice Uncle Dick. Yeah. And he goes back to being Tricky Dick. This whole thing, as I mentioned, kind of is a stalemate. It's just people pointing fingers. There's no real like hard evidence either way to have enough to convict either side until a presidential aide reveals that all of the conversations in the Oval Office were secretly taped by Nixon. Like, damn it, who told you to talk? <laughs> it's just every step of this process, it's just like you broke into that dude's psychiatrist's office. Instead of burning the evidence of your involvement after you didn't find much, you sent it to the CIA. Instead of burning all the tapes of the recordings of you guys talking about making this committee, you just taped them all and kept them. <laughs> like, just get rid of all of it. No, it's for the memories. <laughs> you can't be traced back to if there's not literally like hundreds of hours of you talking about it. Right. But that was the bombshell that blew this whole thing kind of wide open because these tapes could reveal a lot about the involvement of the Nixon administration. But Nixon just kind of said, nuh-uh, nuh-uh. It wasn't me. I'm not, I'm, I'm, you you can't have them. You can't have them. They're yeah. mine. And then... These are my things. <laughs> they didn't take that very well. But Nixon also tried to fire the man that he himself had appointed to investigate Watergate, whose name was Archibald Cox. And when he told his like the people that he was in charge of, when he told them to fire that guy, they resigned. Because they're like, we can't be a part of this anymore. You're yeah. nuts. It's a lot of sweeping under the rug, it seems like. So he loses the employ of multiple people in one night, which is now known as the Saturday Night Massacre. That was the funniest like phrasing in doing the research on the scandal. Yeah. It's like, relax. People lost their jobs. No I know. One died. <laughs> like the history.com, like one of the head, like of the the portions of the article is just Saturday Night Massacre. I'm like, what? Oh. Is this going to be more Vietnam stuff? It's nope. like, nope, it's just guys quit. Yep. <laughs> Nixon then appointed a new prosecutor over Archibald Cox and eventually did hand over. There was nine tapes that were specifically requested. He handed over seven of them because he said that two of them were missing. And one of the ones that he handed over had a suspicious 18 and a half minute gap cut out of it. Hmm. Yeah, they were when they 
when he did eventually hand them over, very edited. Yeah, very suspicious. Very heavily edited. And no one has ever known, like no one to this day knows really what that 18 and a half minutes contained. So it could be just like an absolute bombshell for Nixon, or it could just be nothing. And it could have just been truly like cut out on accident. I'm going to say that it was aliens. Like, like that's 18 and a half minutes of straight alien talk, baby. I believe in that. More of the staff was indicted as time went on, and eventually the Supreme Court made a decision on the case of U.S. versus Nixon and forced Richard Nixon to hand over dozens more tapes. One of these tapes, which is known now as the smoking gun tape, had clear evidence that Nixon had lied to the public and obstructed justice in the Watergate case. At this point, Nixon's allies in Congress quickly turned on him, and he realized that he had no way out of the situation. So on August 8th, 1974, Richard Nixon resigned from the presidency, leaving Gerald Ford, who was his new vice president after Spiro Agnew got charged with tax fraud, to be president. (laughs) So Gerald Ford it is. The tax man comes for us all. This all happens so close together, like Spiro Agnew, tax fraud, like a bunch of money crimes, and then all of this stuff with Nixon comes out, and it's like, good lord. Who do we have in office? Gerald Ford. A month after his resignation, Gerald Ford granted Nixon a pardon for all of the offenses that he had committed while president, but he made sure to kind of point out to Nixon that this was pretty much, in effect, a full admission of guilt Mm -hmm. for Nixon. Not direct admission, but that's basically what you're saying. Yeah, in the public's eyes, you are guilty. Yeah. Richard Nixon would go on to release a statement expressing regret over his decisions while he was president, but he never admitted to committing any crimes. Yeah, he was very broad whenever he talked about the subject. He's very evasive. Over 40 government officials were indicted or jailed due to the Watergate scandal, and some of them served over a year in prison for their involvement. So he's not just ruining other people's, or he's not just ruining like his career, he's ruining other people's lives. Yeah, 40 people. Yeah. Like, I think the number was around like 68 by the time all of the, the dust had settled. The Watergate scandal at the end of it all was, as I mentioned at the beginning, kind of a crack in the dam that eventually let loose the floodwaters of all the shady activity that the Nixon administration got up to. They were up to some hijinks. <laughs> Definite shenanigans. Multiple large companies like Goodyear Tire and American Airlines eventually came out and pled guilty to illegally funding the Nixon re-election campaign. The proof of the break-in at Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office came to light. Slush funds that were being used as hush money for the burglars. All of that was aired out. And this it was just years of activities that culminated with one single event that ultimately brought Richard Nixon down. Goodyear Tire? What do they have to pay, pay illegally pay a president for? I don't Probably some subsidy. Like, he's signing all these <laughs> environmental protection oh, things. Right. I'm sure it's something to do with dumping or something like right, that. Right, right. I don't know, though. But yeah, they just gave him money for his election, so sure. or maybe they just liked him. <laughs> he seems like a stand-up guy, old tricky dick. So, after Watergate, Nixon attempted to pick up the pieces of his life while Ford attempted to steady the ship that was a nation who wasn't sure if they could trust their government anymore. And that's kind of the biggest thing about Watergate. It just shattered the public image of an infallible government trust. Mm-hmm. People just didn't know if they could believe the words of the politicians anymore. Which, guess what? You can't, kids. Yeah, and now there's, like, this stuff happens 
every other day now. Yeah, like, it's very routine. Set the precedent for a, <laughs> a corruption that just is natural now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it was the downfall of the the supreme trust. But thanks, Nixon. He moved back to California with his wife and wrote a memoir, which he titled "R.N. The Memoirs of Richard Nixon," which ended up going on to be a bestseller. Yeah, I was about to say, presidents make a lot of money after they write their books after office. I'm sure this man made oh my gosh, so much. Even for people that hated him, they bought that book. Oh, you're going like, to buy that book. Yeah, both sides. He also did a TV interview with British television personality mm. David Frost, which brought forth some of Nixon's true feelings about the whole scandal. The most telling line was when Tricky Dick on live TV said, quote, when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. End quote. Yeah, they made a movie about this interview, and that is an unbelievable line to say. Yeah. When the president does it, it's illegal. Like, he backpedals and tries to defend what he said by saying that he doesn't believe the president is above the law, but he believes that the law needs to be interpreted and applied with respect to the president fulfilling his duties in office. Whatever that means. He's like, no, I meant about Cambodia. I mean, no, no, Watergate. No, 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 no. I mean, me and Kissinger going behind everyone's back. No, 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 not that, not that. Yeah, so I don't know. I think It's just such a roundabout way of escaping what you said. Yeah, it's when you're caught in like the middle of a lie. It's like, how do I get out of this? Do I just own up to it? Or it's just that circular thinking. Like, yeah. Not a good end to his his whole career in politics. No, not one bit. But after this, he did go on to work alongside some of the other presidents down the line, like Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. He wrote more books. He established a library in California under his name. And eventually, Richard Nixon died on April 22nd, 1994, of a stroke. Almost exactly two years before I was born. Oh, are you the reincarnation? Of- oh, I am Nixon. Yeah, I say I'm not a crook for me, and we'll see how I'm you looking, say it. currently looking for Nazi sympathizers to wiretap the Democratic headquarters. Oh, what, <laughs> what a clip. You know me. <laughs> but it is interesting that he does semi, like he'll always be known for this, but he does semi recover from this non- like the way that you would expect. Like he makes plenty of money. He has nothing to worry about, but he does also do international trips, like political trips oh, yeah. to the same kindness countries that he established relationships with when he was in office. So he is still trying to help. Like it does seem like he's trying to, you know, make up for some of the things that he did while in office, yeah. which you can't. I think he realized finally that he had to take a step to do something for himself mm-hmm. for once. Right. And that, like, everything that happened was because he wouldn't make a step for himself. Right. So, yeah, he he does, like, go back to China and talks with them. They, like, I'm pretty sure I saw that the People's Republic of China says that Nixon was the best president, like, for relations with them. They do love Nixon. So, like, that's good. Like, it kind of tempered Cold War paranoia across the world a little bit. Right. (laughs) But overall, he... It's just, it's going to be inextricably tied to your presidency when something like this happens. So, yep. sorry, buddy. The word Nixon is tied with Watergate, and the word Watergate is forever tied with Richard Nixon. Yep. And bumbling shenanigans. Yes. I, oh, the worst. Of I am so glad that we did this because, like you said, this is just, it's such an insane story that it was so much fun to research and truly figure all this out. So, yeah, it honestly is like 
a truly, 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 truly bonkers story that this happened to a, a U.S. president. Oh, my gosh. But um, did you guys see that in 2005, they actually did release the name of who Deep Throat Yeah, was? Mark Felt. Mark Felt, yeah. That was, yeah, that honestly was pretty crazy. It kind of shocked everyone. Like, um, the two reporters from the Washington Post, who were the ones that were originally, like, kind of, they get credited for breaking the case, but there's a lot of publications that were kind of doing equal work on it. Right. They just kind of get the name credit. Um, but they were really shocked because initially his family's or Mark felt said like his name would never be announced even after he died. Yeah. And his family just came out and announced it one day randomly and just kind of said, yeah, it was him. It's this guy <laughs> It was definitely our brother, husband, son, father who took down the president <laughs> under the name deep throat. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta definitely take credit for that. He one. went balls deep on Nixon. Nice. And it wasn't, I'm not gonna lie. I had a Monica Lewinsky joke in there. <laughs> like, we're not going to fit that in. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get couldn't it. Couldn't get it naturally. He couldn't fit it in either. No, 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 <laughs> no, he could not. But if you want to continue the conversation about Watergate and Richard Nixon and not... All of this is making me think of his predecessor, who was famous for having a very large set of genitalia. Yeah. <laughs> he would just swing around openly amongst the White House staff. Honestly, the presidency is presidents are crackheads go ahead evan plug our listeners but you can find us on x at gems underscore history you can find jacob jacob from Wisco, myself at what evskis you can find us on instagram patreon facebook youtube and tiktok just search gems of history podcast and we will be there next week we got our last listener episode of all yes. time unless we come back at some point and start doing this again which i don't think is going to happen yeah. <laughs> A reunion tour. But yes, it'll be our last listener Patreon selected episode for our careers. Uh, thank you guys once again for listening. If you don't know why it's the last episode, it's because we're ending the podcast at the end of this, at the end of the year. So if you want the full announcement, go listen to the beginning of our Day of the Dead episode. And I think we'll probably... I'm going to force Evan to record a video with me so we can post something on the socials about it because I realized we never did that. <laughs> Yeah, that is so true. We should we probably never got do to, that. We never got to that one. Uh, so yes, that will be next week. And then December, I think we'll probably have three episodes that we'll release the first three weeks. And mm -hmm. then once we get near to Christmas, that's when we're going to call it quits. So thank you guys for listening. Everyone have, if you celebrate Thanksgiving, have a happy Thanksgiving celebration, all that good stuff. And we'll talk to you next week. Stay polished.